God, we bless you for the way, the ways in which you've been glorified already this morning. We bless you for the ways that you've called us to cooperate with you and asking that you would be glorified. And so as we transition to your word, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of the word and that you would use it, that we each might glorify you even more in ourselves and in our lives. God, you are so good and you are so worthy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What a sweet morning, huh, friends? Fellowship has been sweet and the sharing, so good. Um, this morning we're continuing on in our First Corinthians sermon series. And as we've walked through Paul's letter to Corinth, we've been looking at this theme of consecration. What are the, I've, I'm merging into teacher mode, but what do we say when we talk about consecration? It's being set. Getting it, friends. So good. <laughs> so we are in the process of being set apart. And really, we're being set apart for the purpose of God's glory. Because as we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, he is glorified in us. And in us as a body, we reflect his glory and his kingdom to come to the world. And so this morning we're continuing on talking about being set apart in the ways that we work together as a body. We're looking at unity again. And before we even get started, I just want to say that this message feels really simple to me, um, pretty basic, and yet I think it's so important. And so let's dig in together. We're reading from 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll be reading verses 17 to 34. In the following directive, says Paul, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, 
Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. So, um. As you've noticed, my husband is in the military. (laughs) We talked about that this morning. Um, Brendan's been in the Army for over 15 years, and I've been with him for seven to eight of those. And so we've got lots of friends in the Army. And um, the Army is sort of like the island of misfit toys. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) we have lots of friends that we would probably normally not necessarily be friends with or certainly not as close of friends as we are. And so we've got this group of people called the Army Family. And we get together and sometimes we do Christmas or holidays and um, people of different backgrounds, people of different religions, races, socioeconomic statuses, civilian positions. We've got singles, divorcees, lots of children, no children, the whole gamut. People who vote differently from one another, who watch different things from one another. And yet, somehow, it works. These men and women have stood alongside each other for the sake of a mission and have been willing to die for one another. And because of it, they can fight and wake up in the morning and still want to hang out. (laughs) And they can disagree and still love one another. And they can avoid certain topics to be gracious to one another. And mind you, most of these people are not believers. And yet somehow there's something about the mission that they lived on and lived for together that was more important than their differences. And so we're all bound together. Because the reality is that if soldiers in combat decide to get selfish and demand their own way, or their own comfort, or their own opinions, missions fall apart, and people die, and things don't get accomplished. Now, the Army certainly does not have it figured out. (laughs) There's, There's some things there, but Paul understands these principles, and it's why he's so upset. And I don't know if you could pick it up from my tone, but Paul is like really upset in this passage. It's one of those times where we can pretty clearly say like Paul is really irritated. He says in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Ouch. So what exactly is happening here? 
Now, we do this really formal, nice liturgical communion thing, right? And pre-COVID, we did, we did potlucks. But in the early church, what happened when they celebrated communion is they would do these love feasts together. And they would gather in the homes of wealthy believers that had room to house everyone. And just as Jesus had gathered with his disciples, they would gather together for a meal to celebrate, to remember. But what's happening in Corinth is that the wealthy people are inviting their wealthy friends to come earlier to the party. And they're getting drunk and they're eating all of the best potluck food, like all the lasagna and meatballs are gone. And then the poor people are coming later, and there's not much left. And they're probably even left sort of in the outer courts of the room, like there's not really room for them to sit at the banquet table. It's just complete disunity. Now, the reason that they're doing it this way is because every other pagan temple in the city of Corinth does their own feasts, and this is how they do it. If you're rich and you've got privilege, you get to come in first and get what you'd like. And the poor come in later because class division is one of the biggest dividing factors that we've got happening in Corinth. Now, again, this sounds like really bad to us with our nice formal proceedings, right? Like who on earth would have a potluck go this poorly? But it's really culturally normal for the church in Corinth, which is why you've got it happening. The Corinthian Christians likely have no idea why this is such an egregious issue. But the reality is that wealthy Corinthians are putting themselves, their comfort, their customs, their preferences, their desire to be with people like them above others. And it's creating disturbing consequences, disunity, and it's compromising the integrity and the mission of the church. God is not being glorified in this gathering. Paul even goes so far as to say that this disunity is so bad that God has been willing to punish the people severely with sickness, with discipline, and even with falling asleep or death. So we've talked about a lot of issues in Corinth, and never before has Paul said people are dying because of this. Like God clearly takes this issue very, very seriously. Now, at first glance, it would be easy to say that this passage doesn't really apply to us because at Gold Avenue Church, we do potluck really well, right? I haven't seen anyone behaving this way at potluck. I haven't observed anyone hoarding all the best food or leaving others hungry. I don't know that I've ever seen alcohol down there. (laughs) But class structure and socioeconomic structure was the main dividing line in Corinth. It's a dividing line for us, and we have other dividing lines as well. And it's no secret that in a world that constantly wants to talk about equality and unity and equity, we have more division than ever before. At least it seems that way. A pastor I often listen to recently remarks that in today's world, we seek to label one another. And that once we label someone, we can easily disregard them. So think about it. If you can label someone as a conservative and you're a liberal, then I don't need to hear them anymore. And vice versa. They're anti-vaxxers. Or they're all about the masks. That group over there is deceived and they're the fearful ones. 
That family sends their kids to private school or this family homeschools. Can you believe that that family trusts this news source or they listen to that pastor or they pay attention to this influencer? If we can put people in a box that we disagree with, then we just don't want to talk to them anymore. We can completely cancel what they have to say or their input. I could go on forever with those labels right now, couldn't I? You can think of like ten of them in your head as you're sitting there. These labels somehow seem to give us permission to disconnect from one another, to stop honoring, to stop seeking to hear well, to stop prioritizing one another over our own desire to be right or to be comfortable. And when we look at the world, what is the fruit of disunity? It's just chaos, right? We can't, we can't vote on anything and make it move. We can't produce anything. We can't be productive in any sense if we disagree. Nothing positive gets accomplished and all kinds of negativity and harm abounds. And so it's no wonder that the great enemy of our souls and the enemy of our church would really like disunity to exist here among us, brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why Paul is so upset. And this issue in Corinth is a much bigger deal than we've noted so far. Why is God willing to discipline his people to the point of death? And why is Paul so completely disgusted? In verse 22, Paul says, Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Paul goes on to explain what he says he learned from the Lord Jesus himself, and he talks about communion, this table behind me. Because in Corinth, this area of deepest disunity was manifesting itself at the point of unity. He says, For I have received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Now that word there, you, is plural. It is for you all. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this because whenever you all drink it in remembrance of me, whenever you all eat this bread and drink this cup, you all together. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross for the sins of all who believe. And when we take communion together, we are to be unified by the basic truth that each and every one of us has sinned. Each one of us has given reason for that cross. We remember together that Jesus paid our debt. He paid my debt. He paid your debt. All of it. And whenever we come together and take communion, we are unified in that death and his life. And together, we the church preach the gospel that he will come again. He will be glorified in this earth as we are together. This table is the great equalizer. It clarifies that we are together 
It clarifies our shared purpose that we are sinners who have been saved. And we proclaim the gospel of a Savior who died for sin and who is coming back. Paul goes on, he says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Because as one wise pastor put it, when we take communion in disunity, it's like having an affair in a wedding dress. Like that sounds really crass, but that's, that's what we're doing. Communion is to unify us. For everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment among themselves. Now, historically, this has been used in a way, you, many of you have probably heard this argument, that you need to make sure you're sort of sinless before you come to the table. You know, like, judge yourself before you come to the table. And that's just a little bit twisted, because we do examine ourselves before we come to the table. We think about sin. We are repentant. We think about being in unity with one another. But we come to the table not because we're sinless, but because we are all sinful. And you get to bring it and give it and receive his grace. If we come to the table thinking that we are holier or smarter or better than our brothers and sisters in Christ, says Paul, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. That's when the problem comes in. Paul goes on to explain that God has passed that severe discipline on people For the sin of pride and selfishness. And that he's given this discipline so that the church would not be condemned by the world. So even the discipline of God to point these things out is a means of his grace. Because our God is a good father. And he disciplines so that we might be saved. So that he might be glorified. So that the purpose and the mission of the church to represent Christ And his kingdom breaking into this world is not compromised. Because, friends, in this world, this is the one place where we can be in unity. We're a church that's praying for revival in a divided world. We're a church that just spent, I don't know, 25 minutes asking the Lord to be glorified in a million different ways. And that's why we're doing this work of learning what it is to be consecrated, to be set apart so that God can be glorified in and among us. We want to be a church that is set apart, a place where his power and his glory dwells, where all who can come and hear of our king. But if we, like the Corinthian church, are found guilty of disunity because we'd rather be comfortable and do things our way, We bring judgment upon ourselves, and our mission fails. This morning, we have the opportunity to come together and partake of this meal. To truly put our money where our mouths are, so to speak, and to come together as one. But before we do that... I believe this morning we have an opportunity to do this work together that God calls discerning the body. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up and have Kayleen play for us. 
And I just have a couple questions that I want us to close our eyes and sit and chew on for a minute. But before I do that, let's pray. God, this morning we sang a lot about your firm foundation of love. You're a loving God and you're a gracious Father. And God, we thank you that even in your correction, even in the way that you discipline us, you do so out of love. Because your plans for us and your plans for your body are beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. And so, Lord, as we sit together and we contemplate the ways in which you might be drawing us into deeper unity for your glory, we ask that you would speak, Holy Spirit. That you would make our hearts tender and that you would make a way for each one of us to manifest your glory evermore. So these are, these are the questions to ponder. Are there ways in which I have allowed my own personal opinions or preferences to separate me from a brother or sister in Christ? Are there ways in which I have labeled a brother or sister in Christ that has created disunity or separation between us? Are there areas of my life, perhaps ways I have spoken or thought, or things I have shared in which I have been prideful, selfish, or dishonoring of my brother or sister in Christ. As Nick reminded us this morning, If you feel convicted and if you confess your sins, our God is faithful and he is just to forgive. And I also just want to give the opportunity, if there's a brother or sister in this room with which you're convicted about having disunity with, I just want to invite you to go to that brother or sister now even. You don't have to have a long, drawn-out conversation, but you can say, I've allowed disunity to happen in this relationship, and I repent, and I'm sorry, and be unified. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness in designing us to be together, to love one another well, to hear one another well, to join together for your kingdom work on this earth. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you're glorified in us as we walk together with you. So Lord, as we transition to partake in communion, we ask that you would continue to bind us together more and more as one. That you would continue to refine us to be those who care more about what you're doing 
than what's comfortable for us. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in and among us. In Jesus' name, amen.